Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Hey there, and welcome back to the Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Richard, a.k.a. Ricky Howard, is a leading authority on federal government contracts. As a career military acquisitions acquisition, he oversaw $82 billion plus of DOD contracts and has advised, trained, and consulted to over 400 companies. Ricky is the CEO of DOD Contract, which guides, trains, and mentors small business owners and sales executives through the government contract sales process. He's also the host of DOD Contract Academy podcast and speaks extensively on the nuance of federal government contracting and strategy. In our conversation, we talk about all the aspects of Boost. So be sure to grab a pen, lean in, take lots of notes. Now, here's Ricky. Hey, Ricky, welcome to the Boost Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Yes, yes. So for folks who are hearing your name for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, Well, thank you for having me on and for asking. Uh, So uh, my name is Ricky Howard. I spent 20 years in the U.S. Air Force, uh, spent about half of that time flying and in the last half in acquisitions, which is the profession of putting companies on contract for the government. So I spent a, a good amount of time doing that. And then when I retired in 2019, I started my own consulting business where I wanted to help small businesses sell to the government and you know to the different military branches. And that's pretty much what I've been up to uh, since retiring. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your service. Definitely appreciate you. Um, And being that the Boost podcast is geographically headquartered in the D.C. metro area, of course, federal contracts is a big thing for us, especially in the small business community. So I would love to know from your perspective um, to share and explain perhaps some of the benefits of selling to the government as a small business and how that can positively impact a company's growth. Sure. So uh, I think, you know, big picture, most small businesses don't realize that the U.S. government actually buys what they sell. Um, the U.S. government buys just about everything that you can think of. And, you know, to varying degrees, there's been a few areas that I found where it's been a little bit lower spending. But in general, they're spending a lot of money in a lot of different areas that, uh, you know, some people listening to your uh, show may be focused on. And the benefit of selling to the government is that you're creating a, a new stream of revenue for your business. And that stream of revenue, government revenue in particular, can increase the valuation of your company like few other things can. And, and the reason for that is that government contracts are typically one of the most stable contracts that you can have with your business. Uh, typically, you know, when the economy fluctuates, you know, like we're in a different position right now than we were 10 years ago in the economy, the government spending 
he tends to stay pretty stable, or if anything you can count on, they're probably going to spend more each year, uh, year over year, right? So you have those two different streams of income in it for our clients. And then, you know, for companies I worked with when I was in the government, it was good for them to have two streams of income. Uh, it made their company more valuable. It gave them a little more stability, a little bit more peace of mind. So um, those are a couple of really good reasons to at least consider uh, selling to the government. Yeah. And I know being here in the DC metro area, that is what really just, you know, it's helped us to sustain some of the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows that are in the marketplace because we have such a large um, federal presence here. Sure. So once an organization knows that they want to, okay, yes, I desire to do business with the federal government. What are some, like, what are some ways that folks can find opportunities to sell their products or services to the government? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. So uh, in what I would, uh, I would take one step back further and say, you know, if I want to sell, if I'm a company, a small business in particular, but any company, if I want to sell to the U.S. government, the first thing you need to determine is, does the government buy what you sell and how much of it do they buy each year? And not only that, you know, one of the, because there are challenges with government contracting and, you know, we can get into those, but I think one of the big benefits is that everything that the government purchases with, uh, you know, the exception of some classified uh, contracts, you know, it's all public information. This is, you know, all of the regulations that a lot of people uh, complain about uh, have, if they've done anything, they've made it so we can go and we can see what the government's buying in, in, in very good detail. So we can go in and we can see before we make that decision, how much does the government buy each year on the type of product or service, whether we're talking about landscaping or accounting or, you know, legal services or, you know, yourself food or, you know, whatever, whatever it, it may be, cybersecurity, how much do they spend year over year and how much do they spend on small business contracts if you're a small business? And you can also look at your competitors and you can see exactly what they're making. So we can get a really good sense of how profitable we can be selling to the government if we're successful. So that would be step one. But step two, which is to answer your question, if I want to find opportunities, now I'm kind of transitioning from researching what the government's buying. And by the way, you can use tools like usaspending.gov, which is free to kind of get a sense of that. And you can also get a sense of who is buying what you sell in the government. It will, will tell you by agency and sub-agency. So when we know that, now what we want to do is we want to find opportunities and, and things that the government is buying before a solicitation comes out. So it's, it's, pr- it's, a, it's a critical component to selling to the government that I just want to make sure everyone understands. So we want to find you're, you're much better, you're more likely to win a contract with the government if we find that opportunity ahead of a solicitation and we're able to develop a relationship with that office and kind of influence our way in or let the, at least let them know that you exist and your type of business can do the work. And you can find sam.gov is the is the repository of those type of solicitations. So that's the main place you'd want to go. And it's a government website. And it's also where you would register your business to sell to the government. So it's interesting. I smiled because when you said something about the solicitation, because um, I know there can, and you alluded to this earlier too. So I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the the hook and go ahead and reel you in to say, okay, Mm -hmm. you also said that there's some challenges. And so how does one, like, first of all, why don't you share with us some of the challenges? Because I know one challenge that off the top comes up, for me, oftentimes is sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it feels like um, there's solicitations that are out that perhaps are already perhaps targeted for another organization, but because they have to put it out and shop it, that it's like, "Mm, but is that a good use of my time to 
respond to that proposal? Like, and so how, how do you, I guess, weed through all the noise that may be out there to make sure that you're not as a small business investing time in a way that may be counterproductive right. to actually winning the business? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, you know, I would say there are several uh, challenge areas when we're talking about selling to the government, right? But it, hey, if anything's worth doing, it's, it's usually uh, difficult and absolutely you know, kind of put in your, your sweat equity if, uh, if that's the right word. But selling to the government, first of all, takes a lot longer than selling commercially. So that's the first challenge. So what I tell companies, regardless of size, you really need to spend 12 to 18 months. You need to plan on 12 to 18 months of consistent effort and engagement before you can expect to win a contract with the government. Um, It can take longer than that for larger contracts, and it can take shorter than that too, right? So there are certainly you can, you know, win contracts in a small amount of time, but as a general rule, the the process is not a short one. So that's the first thing. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And the second thing, I think the point that you, you made about these contracts potentially being targeted towards other businesses already, I think this speaks to the complexity of federal government. Because if you you think about government spending, what we're really talking about is going back to the birth of the country, the government has been buying things. And we've gone through this cycle of government starts buying things typically, especially in the beginning for war, right? So feeding the troops, uniforms, that weapons, that type of thing. And then there's some type of corruption, right? Whether it's by the contractors or by a government official. So now the government, everyone's up in arms and, and mad and including, we have quotes from George Washington going back to his day. And But then you have uh, essentially the government is starts making regulations, right? To, to try to keep everyone in check. And so we have gone through this cycle of regulating and then deregulating because we had to buy stuff quick. And it's basically, it's increased the timeline, but it's also made it complex, right? So um, what I like to do is talk about just what a company, because the government buys different things in different ways. So what I like to do is talk about how is the government going to buy what you sell? And that's what we want to figure out. But when we're talking about the cycle in general terms, the cycle, when we see a solicitation come out, all those regulations that I talked about, and, and you know they did a study in the 80s or over 64,000 pages of regulations that acquisitions offices had to sift through to actually ensure they were complying with everything. Um, so, I mean, it, it's no wonder, you know, gentlemen like myself don't have hair and, and women are, uh, you know, uh, also equally frustrated with the process that have worked on this. But basically those, some of the things that those regulations have done is to, in order to ensure fairness and ensure that there's no impropriety going on, when a solicitation comes out, you just picture the handcuffs around the government's hands, right? So, you know, if you were to come to my office when I was in acquisitions, when a solicitation came out or you emailed me or asked me a question, I'm not answering your questions because like, that's when you hear about protests and stuff where they're very careful because now we have an official solicitation. But before that mm-hmm. exists something called the market research phase. And again, it's dictated by these uh, uh, regulations and it's a legal phase, but this is where the government has to figure out what, what they're buying. Right. So, you know, the program managers and contracting officers, they're on the government side, they're the experts to putting companies on contract and managing those contracts. They're not the expert at what you do, which could be cybersecurity. It could be software development or, you know, we talked about landscaping, accounting services. They need to, they have a requirement. They have a, a problem that they need to solve and they need to go to the experts to figure out how to solve that problem. So 
this is where your frustration is, right? Like a lot of companies have come to me and they're like, I've been writing proposals on these solicitations. I never win. And it's starting to look like these solicitations are being written for my competitors and they're always winning. Yes, It must be rigged, right? And what I say is it's not rigged, but they were written for your competitors. And the reason, in, in a sense, and the reason is that the companies that understand the process are identifying those uh, opportunities, right? They're before a solicitation comes out and they're meeting with the government during this market research phase and they're helping the government write the solicitations. And, you know, in some cases, the government might take input from 20 different companies um, and engineers and everyone else. In some cases, it might be, you know, a singular solution. You know, maybe one company can do the work or two. And so now you have a tremendous effect on how the government's going to make that purchase if you're the only company they're talking to. So, and it's, it's extra work. So it's, um, it's not rigged. You have a company that understands the process and is putting in the extra work and they're probably winning, or at least they're winning more than a company that's not doing that. That is so interesting. Like that is um, very enlightening because yeah, oftentimes you just think that, Oh, magically the solicitation shows up, not knowing that there's all this work that was done in the background. And so with that in mind, my question then becomes to you, so what does relationship development or relationship building look like? Because I'd imagine that folks that are in that sort of on that track of being able to contribute in a really meaningful way to the market research phase likely have a relationship with someone in the government and they're then mature, they're nurturing that relationship in such a way such that that individual then feels comfortable with going to a company ABC to say, okay, what do you think? Or what do you got? Or something along those lines. So what does that look like? Because oftentimes I think um, to the government's credit, they're like, oh, we need to, we can't say anything. You know, it's closed lip. We can't do. So I under, so I understand and appreciate that where it's like, no, you can't necessarily build relationship and try to massage that relationship to get in. So how do those relationships get built? Yeah, that's a good question. And it it also, because I I think it is a good point. A lot of people do, you know, assume that, well, you just know somebody, right? But in reality, most people in the government can't buy anything. Like like 99.99% of people in the government can't buy anything. And I mean, anything over $10,000 essentially, right? So, um, you know, if we're talking about real contracts, you have to be a warranted contracting officer in order to commit funds on behalf of the government. And that is a very small group of people. So even if you came from the government, you probably don't have a great understanding of how they make purchases because it is complicated. And it's the reason entire professions exist around it. And you might not even know the people that make purchases, right? So, uh, you know, often I'll talk to people coming from different branches of the military and they have something they want to sell that is is going to resonate. But even though they know a thousand people, they don't know a single contracting officer. So I only say that to, to let everyone know that it's even if you came with a network, you still probably have to develop a relationship with a person that buys the thing that you're going to sell. And a one great way to start uh, with that is with the research, right? We can go in, look at which offices are buying what you sell. And then we can look at things uh, like uh, requests for information or sources sought. And those those aren't something you respond to and win a contract with, usually. But those are, your. it means you're in the market research phase and they are sent from the, usually the contracting officer or the program manager that has money and has a requirement and has a way to put you on contract. So this is coming from a, an organization that can put you on contract. 
And it's really your official way to start engaging with them. And most companies don't do it. Most companies, you know, because everyone's busy, right? So to put a five-page response together, uh, you know, takes a little bit of time. But but those that do and those that are good at really providing value, you're basically sending that directly to the point of contact. You have their email address. And so a good way to start that relationship is to respond thoughtfully to uh, some of those and then request a meeting afterwards. And as long as your timing is good and you have something that, you know, is striking a nerve on the other side, you'll probably get, you know, whether it's a meeting or a virtual demo or something along those lines, it's a great way to start the conversation. And then you can expand after you start getting those meetings. Mm, That's awesome. Thank you for that. And so let's say we've had several meetings and now we're actually submitting a proposal. Um, I'd imagine you probably have some really um, great advice around, okay, how do I make my proposal stand out? So what what would you suggest in that area? Yeah, so for the proposals, I, I like to get to the point where I know a little bit, if I've done my job right, I probably know more about what the government needs than was actually in the solicitation because I did respond and I set up a meeting. And so if you've done that, now you have an advantage. So uh, you taking good notes during these meetings and kind of comparing what you know about the problem set and the solution they want versus what's actually in the request for proposal or the request for quote and being able to identify those things is automatically going to give you an advantage because you know a little bit more. It's just you know, everyone's human, right? And it takes a lot of work for the government to write those solicitations to begin with. Everything's usually not in there and it's not intentional. A lot of the times it's just, you know, they missed something or someone changed it because there's always a lot of people in the chain that all have their ideas, right? So um, first identify if you know anything uh, additional. Uh, Secondly, if you did uh, uh, your homework and, and they have seen your solution, what did they like about it? What don't they like about it? And then you can work on that. Is it something you can modify? Is it something you can uh, adjust to meet, you know, really the need? Cause it's all about you providing value for the government, trying to make it easy for them. And in the proposal phase, this is not the time to start getting creative with how you're going to message them, right? And the, with the RFI, the source of thought, you can be creative. You know, you can put in as much or as little as you want. You can tell them how to put it on contract. You can tell them, set it aside for a business like mine. But once the solicitation comes out, really, we're trying to build credibility, answer everything that they're saying in, in great detail, and and do not break the rules of engagement on the proposal because that's going to be scored. So even if I can remember, I might've known that there's a company that I wanted to put on contract, but if they screwed up the proposal, that's going to get graded and probably not by me, the program manager, right? So that was going to be graded. And so if they had the page count wrong, uh, you know, or maybe they put in additional pages, you know, let's say 20 pages was the max and you write 25. Well, they're going to cut off the last five. Or just throw it in the trash because you didn't comply if they got 100, you know, so depending on how competitive it is, too. So you want to ensure that you're using a compliance matrix. You want to meet the criteria of the um, RFP while doing what you can to build credibility within there and really answer the mail using any information that you have gained during the market research phase. That's really helpful because, yeah, attention to detail um, (laughs) is real when it comes to government contracting. And so what are things that um, government agencies will typically consider when they're selecting vendors? I know oftentimes like past performance means a lot, Mm -hmm. but there's the challenge of, well, how do I get past performance if I can't (laughs) actually do the work that I'm proposing on? Yeah. some of those things 
that government agencies, um, again, that they're consider considering when they're selecting? And then how can small businesses make sure that they're aligning their proposals to meet whatever those selection criteria might be that they're considering? Right. So in every every industry is a little bit different, right? But there's a few things where if you're brand new versus if you've been doing it for a little bit, you can start thinking about, right? So if you're brand new, you're tr- like you're trying to get that first contract under your belt and you're trying to win. So you may, if you have a technology, you may target something more like a small business innovative research uh, contract, which is designed more for companies that are have an innovative solution and maybe haven't sold to the government before or another transaction authority, you know, something. So there are different contracting mechanisms for non-traditional businesses. But if you are in the mix a little bit and you're just trying to win more contracts, uh, things that we think about are, you know, in addition, in addition to past performance is what about your, if it's a, if it's a software or a cybersecurity tool, what about, what about the certifications that you have? Is your tool already on a government system? Or if you're a services company, are, do you have people that have clearances and are currently working in different agencies in classified areas, right? So what you're, what you're messaging the government now is not just past performance, but Hey, I am doing this. And, and one of the hardest things to do actually is, take a new software or a new tool or a new anything and put it on a government system? Or do you, are you, if your people aren't cleared and you're going after a, a job or, you know, you're going to try to provide services where people need clearances, that could be a problem. But if you do have people that have those clearances, you want to message that appropriately. Those are, those are some other things. Price is always, uh, you know, a factor. And, you know, hopefully when you're, you're reading through everything, you know, you got to determine if, you know, how competitive the solicitation is going to be. Is it going to come down to who has the lowest price or is it, are you in a field of one or like a couple of uh, different agencies? Now you have a little bit more leeway to, to price a little bit higher and just provide the better service. So uh, those are some things to think about Uh, security things like, um, you know, do you have an approval to operate on a system or do you have past performance in a, in an area? And if you don't have those things, if you are brand new, considering working with a prime, somebody, a company that already has that past performance, because you don't, you want to make sure you're not wasting your time or the government's time when you write one of these proposals. So if they're looking for specific um, past performance or they had, or there's requirements that you don't have, I always advise look for a company and you can use the same tool, USA spending, look for a company that has past performance with the agency that you're trying to win a contract with uh, maybe a medium-sized company, you know, someone that doesn't have a full bench and you provide something that they don't have. And it doesn't take too long to do that research. And now you're really, you're making yourself a lot more competitive. Um, you might not be the prime on that one, but you're getting your foot in the door and you're learning, you know, you're learning the ropes and hopefully from a, a company that could be a mentor for you. Awesome. Ricky, I know we are at time and this has been an extraordinary conversation. If folks who are listening in have a desire to tap into your genius and some of the services that you provide to help them to get into federal government as a client, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, best way is just go to dodcontract.com. That's our website and you can uh, take a look at our services there and uh, courses, or if you want a consultation, you can schedule it there. And then another thing you can do uh, for free, you can go check out our podcast. It's called DOD Contract Academy, and it's everywhere podcasts are. Check it out. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to have a conversation. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for everything that you do to support small business in the world of federal contracting. I definitely appreciate you. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. The Boost Podcast serves an energetic community of business leaders, entrepreneurs, and individuals who are growth-minded. If you, your business, or organization would like to share your service, product, or expertise with the Boost Podcast community, contact Kelly Leonard. Email kelly.leonard at taylor-leonard.com. Again, that's kelly.leonard at taylor-leonard.com. Well, that concludes this episode of the Boost Podcast. Thank you again for listening in. If you don't mind, if you could like, subscribe, or share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. For more information on anything Boost related, you can visit our website at www.kellytleonard.com. 